Welcome to In Front of Ira. We're Sabrina. And Torsten. Two historians. And friends. And lovers. Of romantic comedies. And this is the podcast in which we answer the age-old question. Will they or won't they? Is it or isn't it a romantic comedy? Technically, that that is two questions still. <sighs> I know. We know. Everyone knows. <laughs> Then why, why do we keep talking about this? I don't know. Because this is a whole podcast series anyway. Um, <clears throat> You're getting week, meta here. Yeah. You're getting meta here already. Right, I, I okay, this, this week, what this, are we talking about this week? <laughs> I, I love that, the, sorry, but I love that this says actual recording is higher quality. <laughs> it's like, this is like... I don't think ads. it is, it's just us. Yeah, yeah, it's like ads... <laughs> ads you know when it's like this is not the actual footage this is ad footage anyway um yes actual recording is higher quality <laughs> it's like you should be aware of this um yeah um with this week we're talking about love actually which Lovely. is a film um as so many things are <laughs> anyway no it's a film uh, written and directed by uh, richard curtis who, uh, of course, has featured on this podcast before because he also wrote uh, Notting Hill um, and a bunch of other things that we have not discussed yet, such as For Weddings and a Funeral, which was his sort of, it wasn't, I don't know if it was his full debut, but it was the thing that made him famous. Um, yeah, and, the breakout. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and Love Actually is 20 years old this year, uh, believe it or not, and that's why we're doing mm. it now. Um, it's gonna make me feel even older. Um, yeah, because it still feels too. like 2003 is uh, is validly within the last couple of years, which apparently not. Oh. No, apparently not. And I do remember seeing this in the cinema, and uh, which also will make me feel very old because I also like, for whatever reason, vividly remember seeing it in the cinema. And uh, if this is 20 years ago, that means I was about 13. Um, and I definitely remember it being like when I was watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer religiously and just, uh, yeah, being an awkward tween teen. So, uh, mm. yeah. So it, it both feels like uh, a lifetime ago, which it definitely was, but also, yeah, it, I still can't believe it's, it's that old already it is and it's it's one of those movies where i haven't seen this in ages and i and i finally popped in the dvd yesterday and like watched it all the way through watched the commentary watched the deleted scenes i actually did my homework on this one and it is one of those movies in which everyone is in it everyone who was yeah. available basically at the time so everyone who is a reasonably well-known British actor in 2003 is in this movie and a whole bunch of American actors are in this movie as well. And uh, a few other European actors in addition, 
And uh, it's just a ton of names that you recognize in tiny roles sometimes. Yeah, everyone is in the film, which is also something that, I mean, it, it yeah, as you said, it's everyone who already was someone at the time, like Hugh Grant and Colin Firth and Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman. But then also all these people who ended up being famous for something or other after this film was made. So uh, Andrew Lincoln, who is the lead on The Walking Dead, or was the lead on The Walking Dead for, like, ages, is in this. Um, and it's so many other people pop up randomly. Um, and, I mean, that's also that film that started this. There were a bunch of other films that then copied this sort of, like, narrative uh, of, like, interwoven things, but then also the fact that you then have to throw every person who was ever famous into this film. Yeah, so. Valentine's Day is what it reminded me of. That's another one that we should probably do for Valentine's Day. Yeah, Valentine, like, Valentine's Day copied this, um, and it was... That one was at least the one that was sort of good-ish. It's Gary Marshall, who then also tried to do this with New Year's Day, Eve, whatever it was, and that sucked. So um, I think there's, you can only try to copy this formula so much, uh, like, or you still have to make an effort to, like, make it, I yeah, don't know, coherent. It's actually, like, this movie is, I've gone kind of, like, through the through the valley of uh, the internet has generally decided that this is a horrible movie and yeah. kind of like come out the other end watching the movie going like, I can see where they're coming from, but actually this is from a, like a movie making craftsmanship perspective. This is amazingly well done for putting yeah. so many stories in and having them all kind of make sense in the end. And when you look at the various commentaries and interviews that they did regarding this movie, there was a version of this that was three and a half hours long and that had many yeah. more stories and different story beats and they had to cut it down. And some things it suffers in some places. I think some things it was a good decision that stuff got cut, but it definitely is a monster movie making and organizational feat tell 10 stories yeah. and have them intertwine reasonably well is is it, that's that's the amazing part whatever else we say about this movie like i completely appreciate that that is just it's 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 quite the thing yeah i think that's the thing like i mean i've also gone through the various motions of like tumblr posts about this and like the annual like media article that's like this is why this film is bad actually and um, and I mean, there's some stuff that legitimately did age badly or that probably even wasn't that okay 20 years ago either. Um, like there's some weird stuff with, there's some very like not even casual fat phobia that comes up again and again. So um, and then also some, some, at least one trans sort of transphobic remark. Um, and, and some, I mean, the gay stuff is better because by that point, that's also like, we're at a point where that's more, uh, you know, accepted anyway. And there was a, one of the cut storylines is actually a lesbian storyline. And I'm still bitter that that ended up on the cutting room floor because it yeah, would have been I, minor anyway, but still. I, I, I watched the cut scene 
And it was it was in essence the the headmistress of the school yeah. and 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 uh, her wife or, or uh, whatever Hard their relationship know. ended up being, and uh, she died. So we also kind of avoided a bury your gaze trope yeah. with cutting that storyline. So I kind of came out of like, oh, unfortunate that that was cut, and then no, yeah, there's an ending scene. Fantastic. And um, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it, uh, what you can also see, and I think, I, what I think, we keep talking about this movie, we should, for the four people who haven't seen this and are listening to podcasts, because I do listen to podcasts sometimes before actually watching a movie and uh, then watch it after that and then kind of like, oh, this is what they were talking about. So this movie is 10 stories. I think it's meant to be 10 stories. There's a couple of vignettes. I never, uh, I never that. actually counted them. I thought about it. It would have like my gut feeling would have been like eight-ish, but yeah, yeah. it's probably ten. I mean, Curtis says it's ten. I think it's more mm. because like the tiny little stories are sometimes intertwined, and uh, they're all love stories, stories about love. That doesn't mean that they're all romantic stories that end well. Some of them do. Some of them are really kind of classic Richard Curtis romantic comedy stories. Some of them are really kind of more like, uh, uh, you know, Swedish film or French film stories of uh, couples who are having trouble. And uh, some of them are just kind of there um and 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 they don't have any specific feelings about them but uh, they are they're all set in london around christmas it starts off five weeks before christmas and then kind of moves up to i think not christmas day i think uh christmas eve and uh the the kind of smart thing about this movie is how all of these stories are somehow intertwined. And it's one of those movies that you watch and you watch again. And you're like, wait, are they, what is their relationship? Cause like, if you blink and miss one of the small scenes that sets up one of these stories, you're going to have a heck of a time figuring out what actually they were setting up. And I was constantly Googling in order to understand what people's relationships were, just so I don't completely mess this up. And I kept making notes like, oh, okay, so Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson are married. Emma Thompson and Liam Neeson are friends. And there seems to be kind of a, a lost romantic plot line, which the internet has also commented on because her name is Karen in this. And when Liam Neeson in the end meets his actual love, he accidentally calls her Karen. So there's, there's tons of little things. Um, <clears throat> maybe we should talk about kind of the main plot lines and then see where we land. Yeah. In order to make sense of this two-hour uh, and I think ten-minute movie with all these different storylines, we should talk about these storylines, what the main storylines are, who is in them, and how they resolve, and how it all interconnects, and what we think of that. So, uh, shall we do that now? Yeah, we can do that. Um, so, I think some of the main strands, and I mean, is that there's there's all these little stories sometimes within these, but I think some of the main plots are A, the new prime minister, which, who was played by Hugh Grant, uh, is, you know, he's just like uh, starting uh, in office. He's just been elected. And on this, when he meets his staff, is one of his, uh, like, I don't know, she does catering st stuff. Like, she's mm -hmm. basically the person who brings tea and uh, 
cookies and whatever. Um, he sort of falls in love with her. They fall in love with each other and she's very terribly awkward, but he finds that charming because he's Hugh Grant and he's also terribly awkward. Um, and that's that storyline. And the storyline also extends to the US president visiting, uh, who's played by Billy Bob Thornton. And he's obviously an asshole because we, you do have to remember this film is from 2003. So it's very close after like 9-11 Bush era. Which is so referenced. Which is referenced, and I think we should come back to that. Um, so that's one storyline. The other storyline is Colin Firth, also being terribly awkward, um, who gets cheated on by his girlfriend with his brother. Um, and then instead of spending uh, a trip, like a few weeks in uh, France with his girlfriend, he spends it alone and is trying to write a terrible novel. Um, and falls in love with this Portuguese housekeeper, even though she doesn't speak English and he doesn't speak Portuguese. Um, and uh, there's Emma Thompson, who's married to Alan Rickman, and obviously there's sort of, you know, longer marriage, and he ends up probably, like, we never really know if he cheats on her or not. That's a big point of contention in, in on the interwebs. Um, but in any case, he does buy a necklace for his, like, secretary that mm -hmm. and it constantly flirts with him. Um, at the same office, there's Laura Linney, who's been terribly in love with her very hot colleague, played by Rodrigo Santoro. Um, so that is one of the storylines uh, that actually doesn't end well. Because um, she's the primary caretaker for her um, mentally ill brother. Um, we don't know exactly what he has, but I assume it's some kind of paranoid schizophrenia. Like he mm. thinks the staff at the care home is trying to kill him. And, you know, he's just really not well. And that somehow ends up destroying any chance she has at, you know, actually the, the relationship with the hot guy. Um, and then... Who else do we have? There's Liam Neeson's kid. Yes. Uh, I think Thomas Sangster, uh, yeah, who Sangster. is in love with a girl at his school. Um, his mother, Liam Neeson's wife, has died. That's one of the yeah. starting scenes, uh, the funeral. And uh, the kid is in love with uh, another kid at his school, kind of like first crush. And uh, he is kind of scheming. Uh, how to how to get closer to his crush, which becomes like a story in which Liam Neeson, the grieving dad, and the kid kind of team up and um, yeah. try to help uh, him. Well, yeah, get closer to his crush. I don't know how likely that that whole storyline is in the end, uh, for yeah. reasons that we'll get into. But uh, that's definitely uh, that's the storyline. And um, yeah, and Liam Neeson is sort of just a grieving widower, but he does also meet someone new. Um, by the end, he's also good friends with Emma Thompson's character. Um, then there's uh, Bill Nye, who I think, like, I mean, he definitely had a career before that, but like, it was he wasn't well known. Like, I mean, he was in some British films, obviously, and he's already, like, I don't know how old he is there. Like, uh, it's got to be in oh, his fifties. Yeah, he must be in his fifties because I mean, he's still acting now. Um, and but that that's really what put him on the map. I remember, like, that was sort of the breakout performance which is rare for someone that age to like have a breakout yeah, performance that late in life that. Um, i thought he was just kind of always there as a, as no, a british actor no. i mean like obviously now that you like saw him in this like you would go back and you would see him but he literally like had smaller parts but ever since that like i mean he he ended up being in pirates of the caribbean with kira knightley who's also in this 
um, and and then did other stuff. I mean, he did um, About Time for Richard Curtis. He's done um, The Boat That Rocked. Like, he kept working with Richard Curtis after this, primarily. Mm. I, I um, did some other stuff. Um, and Best Exotic, like Marigold Hotel. But, like, really, he's a late-in-life guy, like, in terms of his film career. And that's really, like, he's also just his performance here is, like, really charming. Um, like he's an asshole, but it's like it's hilarious. He's, he's, um, a, he's a charming asshole, and yeah. uh, he was more of an asshole in some cut scenes, which where I, which is yeah. one of the things where I decide, oh yeah, good that they cut that out. So yeah. he is kind of an old, he's formerly an successful singer, kind of a like hard rocker, which is kind of yeah, weird that he's singing this like Christmas song star. now. And yeah, I mean, he says he he's like desperate it. for a comeback. Like, he's willing to do anything for a comeback. He says he's an ex-heroin addict. Um, so, I mean, in that way, it's sort of believable. I mean, look at what Ozzy Osbourne did later in his career. Like, I think that's sort of what this might be playing off, because that's mm. around the time the Osbournes are a thing. Um, like, the reality show they did. Um, and... Uh, yeah, he's there. Then Kira Knightley is there. So her storyline is mostly tied to like Andrew Lincoln's storyline, who is, as it turns, I think she's his best friend's wife, and they just get married also at the start of this film. Um, and but he's had a secret crush on her for ages, and she finds out because of the wedding video he recorded of her. And um, that storyline is where we get the infamous Say It's Carol singers mm. scene that I think is the most referenced thing of this film, partially. And then, yeah, I think uh, all of the main plots, I mean, they do, like, obviously it all interconnects. One of the ways it ends up interconnecting is, like, the school concert, because, like, Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman's kids um are uh, going to uh, the the same school with also Liam Neeson's kid and uh, the, obviously the girl he's in love with. And there's this big concert at the end. And as it turns out, Emma Thompson is also the sister of the prime minister, so you grand sister. And that's also how they end up interconnecting. So it's, yeah, as you said, it's like really like clever in terms of how they're trying to get all of these uh together in the end um, yeah it's kind of it's kind of uh, uh we forgot one major storyline which is martin freeman and joanna page oh, right, yeah. who are stand-ins at this uh, film which i i listened to the director's commentary it's supposed to be kind of like a uh high uh priced uh basically erotic thriller something mm. like sliver set in venice and uh, they're the stand-in, so they're constantly naked, and people are taking readings of them in different sex positions, and they yeah. are completely like ignoring the fact that they're uh, naked in front of each other uh, for the most part, and uh, are falling in love that way. So that's another one, and they somehow also end up at the school concert for reasons of being friends of someone. This is where I I watched it twice now within the last twenty four hours, and there are things that I'm still not clear on so part of the movie having so many storylines and having it all interconnect is it's really hard to keep track of everything and to understand everyone's relationship and also to understand what the director and writer Richard Curtis wanted to say with every storyline and there are some instances where he says we showed scene X to a test audience and they completely didn't understand what it was supposed to do. So they reshot things, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. some storylines got completely changed 
in the edit and 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 reshot. Uh, for example, mm. Colin Firth's character originally was meant to have just been left by Heike Matkach's character, yeah. who is the person who is trying to have an affair with Alan Rickman and who is also a good friend of Andrew Lincoln at the gallery. And so it's it's all it it makes sense i think i think it's very well constructed in the screenplay and it is also very well constructed in the end but they had to lose so much of it and had to rearrange so much of it that some of it just kind of gets lost yeah i mean i never really felt that it was that complicated but the thing is i've seen this every year since it's come out so like at some point you just know <laughs> i guess i mean i i don't remember if i was confused by any of it in the first i don't think so i mean obviously once you start like really looking into it and maybe overthinking some of the things here like oh something missing there or whatever but i feel like at least the final edit still comes out um yeah it works i'm not saying it it doesn't work but it is as someone who has who saw this close to when it came out and then just now again uh there are some things that were completely unclear to me until i googled them which is emma thompson liam neeson because i first thought that they were like ex-lovers which apparently is not the case but why would you think that (laughs) like i never once thought i don't know they had they had this kind of uh i don't know they have an energy so uh but also i mean there is there is no no clarity he, she's the she's the wife of alan rickman she's the the, yeah. the sister of hugh grant so yeah. what is she to liam neeson it's, it's I mean, not they're, really they're just, clear i mean at the beginning i guess i always felt like they're so clearly best friends because like he's grieving his wife and there's that one scene that feels so best friend to me where where he's calling her again and she's like look you know this is a bad time right now can i call you back in mm. a bit but like not that i'm not terribly distraught by the fact your wife just died which is obviously good <laughs> exposition but it also feels like very much the thing you'd say to your like very close friend when mm. something like this happens and obviously she is very supportive there and they talk about their kids and like he's worried about his kids so it just felt like that kind of conversation i mean that doesn't necessarily be- preclude that they once dated or maybe almost dated as these things go but like it always felt like that kind of dynamic to me i guess um yeah there's but, also a question about the relationship between uh andrew lincoln and heike makat because at mm-hmm. the end there's that or like kind of like towards the end there's that uh gallery christmas party thing where mm-hmm it's assumed that he is her boyfriend, but he's not. But there is a scene that was cut where they're in the gallery and they're unpacking. Cause like part of this set piece of the art gallery in which Andrew Lincoln works is mm. that they have an exhibit of Christmassy pictures, but all of them are basically nudes with various Christmas ornaments draped on them in some kind yeah, of fashion, which is, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I mean, and... I also, I always figured, well, they're sort of the same age. They probably just know each other and moved past that. And I mean, yeah, there might have been yeah. something that you could have fleshed the, out. But I think it didn't the way that they're, they're set up is that they're friends and that uh, at some point, Heike Makach basically tells him when they're opening these, these paintings and uh, he's being, he's shocked that, oh my God, all of these are like, you know, basically pornographic. Uh, she says, I'm thinking of having an affair with my boss mm. and then he asks is he married and she says yes and he he says well that's a bad idea and then she also kind of posits kind of jokingly but maybe not completely jokingly or i could have an affair with you and he also doesn't mm, want okay. that but but there is there is certainly 
connections there that that then are lost in the in the yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, those are those the things where I'm like, I can't imagine that this might be a thing, but I also don't need it for the final movie. So you get why they ended up cutting it. I think that's also the lesbian storyline. Again, would have been like a bury your gaze trope, which Richard Curtis did in Four Weddings and a Funeral, despite me really loving that, because in 1994, that's also something different to have than in 2003, to be fair. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, you, I think that also what makes it work is actually that he cuts some of this because you still see some of that being there, but that makes it more believable as like an, in terms of a world building thing, because like it, the way they connect never feels contrived. Like, yes, a prime minister obviously has a sister who's like, you know, mm. no, no one's special, quote unquote. Like, you know, that's that's just the reality of it, maybe, especially as he's supp supposed to be obviously a progressive, uh, like, in uh, uh, in, you know, that like maybe has more of a working class background or whatever, which we all know it doesn't get elected in the UK. But like, I think that's obviously he's such a fantastical version of what everyone would have wanted someone like Tony Blair to be. But like, obviously wasn't. I think ever. I watched this. I watched um, this and I thought like, oh, look at that. There's a British prime minister who is completely awkward and funny and has inappropriate sexual relationships. Uh, I mean, I that, think, that part I think is he caused related. Brexit. I think I think he's he made Boris Johnson possible. This is my contention. Oh yeah. Because he's so likable. Yeah, that's that might be a thing. But um yeah. I mean I think that's what I read is also that like Richard Curtis was working on two different scripts and one of them was the story of that prime minister and the other one was the story of Colin Firth's character. And then at some point he just decided to throw these together and this is how he ended up with the rest and i mean that sort of makes sense because the two of them are the most richard curtis characters hmm. um and could both either be played by your grand or colin because <laughs> those are the, the guys that obviously feel the most like the richard curtis writing himself i think always um sort of the bumbling awkward brit um, that then falls, usually falls in love with an American. In this case, obviously, that gets changed. Um, oh, that's the one storyline we forgot also. That oh, I yeah, completely. The most problematic. Chris Marshall. Oh, God, yeah. Chris Marshall going to the US because he believes he's a sex god in the US and ends up in some small town, what, Milwaukee or something? Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you know. Um, and, and, and hooks up with free models for some reason. Right. And then and, comes, comes home later with yet another. The one who is also kind of already teased uh, as existing in the yeah. in the scene and, all and these her sister. actresses all these actresses were someone in 2003 and like or later like they're just the hottest actresses you could they could find like denise richards is one of them yeah denise richards um, you have um alicia cuthbert from 24 yeah. and richard carter says like yeah she basically had a day off from 24 and was yeah. very happy that she got to wear a different outfit because 24 obviously you always wear oh, a different yeah. outfit. and uh, january jones who, yes, January that Jones. Was, who... That was before, which is, it's really funny uh, uh, because they talk about January Jones on the director's commentary. And uh, I think it's Hugh Grant who asks, so what had she done? And Richard Cordy says, our movie mostly. And she obviously yeah. becomes huge uh, on Mad television Man. in Mad Men yeah. just a few years later. And, yeah, and, and that's again, Shannon and I mean, Elizabeth. there's a... 
Yeah, and like it's like that's again what these people that become so famous. I mean, January Jones is also in the boat that rocked that Richard Curtis did, so he brings her back. But that by then she's already, I think, on Mad Men. Yeah, Shannon um, Elizabeth is the one that he ends up with at the end, who is obviously known for being essentially the same kind of character on American, American Pie. Pie yeah. yeah, that's um, the whole. That whole thing is. Is is it's such a male fantasy of like yeah. the 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 kind of like British, not very smart, not very attractive, not yeah, very anything lad. guy. Like he's, just kind of he's going to America. Sabrina, we need not- to hold on. We need to we need to we need to make clear because I think with the with the overlag, uh, we're constantly over each other. That's going to be horrible to cut. So we need to kind of like work out a signal or something. When when we speak, because otherwise we're just kind of kind of doing uh, Robert Altman here all the time. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, people talk over each other sometimes. On no, podcast. but like it it happens in this in this weird way in like the kind of like tiny pauses, and then uh, it's it just kind of adds up in a weird way. I think. Okay, no, you you were saying something, so like finish that, and then I'll come in. But then kind of no, like kind of the make Chris clear Marshall ending. The Chris Marshall character is like a lad, like he's the cheeky nanos with the lads kind of lad, and it's 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 a complete contrived male fantasy of him going to the U.S. and sleeping with the three hottest women on the planet and then bringing them home. And that was the plot line, I think that that already didn't make sense to me twenty years ago, and even makes less sense to me now. Like, I mean, obviously it's not supposed to be realistic, and a film like this doesn't need to be realistic. It's also not realistic in other points, but that also just feels so unnecessary to me and so sexist. Um, it's, I'm fine with it being like anti-American because, like, you know, the, poking fun at the Americans is fine from a British perspective, but you're already doing that with the Bush stand-in in in more valid ways, I think. Um, that aren't misogynistic. So, <laughs> yeah, I think the 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 one thing that I that I took away from this movie is that it is, um, in in some ways, more misogynistic than than other Richard Curtis mm. movies, and it kind of probably is because there are so many plots, and when you have one plot and uh, you kind of like hone that. Uh, and somebody's going to come in at some point saying like, do you really think you need this scene? Or like, is this a good idea? And the impression that I get is that he is, after all, you know, like kind of like in that very like 20th century way, one of the boys, you know, he is, yeah. he is at heart more misogynistic than we want him to be. And yeah, uh, he it's, definitely... it just comes out here much more clearly than, than in other yeah, places. I mean, it does in the boat that rock too. And I love the boat that rock. Um, but it is also problematic in those ways. And I think this is the criticism I see. Ironically, I see less come up and all the discussions of how problematic this film is, because I think the thing that everyone always comes back to is really Andrew Lincoln. Um, yeah. And, we can discuss how that's problematic, but I feel like the way it comes out is far less of an issue than a lot of people make it out to be. That's at least my like true sense on it because everyone is always like, he's a borderline stalker. And I'm like, but is he really like, he obviously is in this conundrum of like, he's in love with his best friend's now wife. And he apparently has been in love with her the whole time they were together. And the way he's trying to avoid that is basically not speaking to her and like trying not to put himself in a position where he would then maybe 
you know, overstep a line and ruin his friendship and ruin their relationship. And he's actually trying to be mm. good. Um, and he's just, just like longing for her from afar. Um, and I mean, the video he makes of her, okay. Um, but it's not like he's, you know, otherwise, you know, stalking her. And I mean, coming to her house and doing this, uh, it's Carol, say it's Carol saying this bit. It's also just him trying to tell her, you know, I'm in love with you and I'm funny. Actually want to tell you after this awkward moment we had where you found out by accident, I didn't want you to find out that way. And it was very, it was terrible, but I just want to make clear that I am in love with you, but I also know that there isn't a future to this. And um, he even says to himself, like enough now, like he, yeah. he needs closure and wants to move on. And I think it's a sweet moment, actually. Like he's still saying, like, I know we can be together. I know you very likely don't feel the same way. Didn't even know I felt the way, but I'm also not, I don't want to mess with your relationship and I don't want to mess with my, with, you know, my friendship to your husband. Um, and I think that's actually way less of a problem than some of the other stuff in the film. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's, I think what happened to this movie was kind of like an internet pylon, like kind of like a gotcha moment where mm. a few of these storylines got pulled out. And a lot of people who didn't actually remember the movie all that well, kind yeah. of just were like, yeah, you can see there he's doing that. But if you kind of tease that storyline out, he does do the thing with the camcorder, but he doesn't do it. it like he, he, he takes, wedding video which he he i mean everybody was aware that he was doing it he zooms in too closely mm. on kira knightley on most of these uh, which is you know that that's that's uh, not a great look um but he doesn't stalk her he doesn't there's no video yeah. of of, uh, of him like you know looking at her from anywhere else or like it's really just this wedding video and he uh kind of he he doesn't he doesn't actually want her to have it and uh, he doesn't he doesn't want this to come out in any way yeah. and then it does come out when she comes over because she says like there aren't enough uh, shots of me in my wedding dress in the wedding video and I'm editing it and uh, can you can you give me some and he's like yeah I might have it he even still denies that mm. he has it uh, when she comes over and then she finds a videotape which is labeled uh, you know uh, wedding and that that's it um and then the scene at the end, I think the reason people keep harping on that scene is because he he does this in a way where it's kind of risque, like his his friend might come to the door at any moment and he kind of like does it so so she's kind of part of his conspiracy there. But in the end, it's very clear that he's he's done he's doing this in order to to kind of put an end point to it so i didn't i can i can still i can still see why it's problematic i think it's it's i'm i'm no longer on the on the team that says oh there are like two or three storylines in this movie that are basically invalidating the whole movie mm. there are problematic moments in this movie for sure but it is nowhere near what you might think if you read you know the latest think piece yeah. on the storyline and uh, love actually actually means kind of uh, uh whatever yeah and i think also um 
it it is because it's a, probably the maybe the most iconic scene of this. Um, it is also the thing that people then go back to and say, "No, actually, this iconic scene you remember is so problematic." Yeah, and um, the funny thing is the the one thing that I that I would add from the from the commentary is the reason that he does what he does is because Richard Curtis kept writing kind of grand romantic gestures for him yeah. and kept coming to the office and, and 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 asking his female assistants like does this work and they basically constantly kept telling him no this is stupid don't do that don't do that don't do that and this is the scene that finally made the cut so yeah. this is kind of a this is kind of a you know it's not it's not just the the misogyny of Richard Curtis that comes through him like this is a great scene this is this is this has gone through at least somewhat of a vetting process. Um, yeah. Is it does that necessarily make it better the way that it's presented? I don't know, but it's not. I, I was kind of shocked to to figure out how 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 much less problematic than I remembered it, it ended up being, which yeah. I don't know what that says about me or about the scene generally. But yeah, yeah. as I said, there's so much other stuff. As I said, like the Chris Marshall thing, I wish he had just completely cut that it's out. It's complete. You don't need the, the whole storyline yeah. you don't need. It's it's set elsewhere. I think the reason it was kept in is because it had all these American actresses. And Richard Curtis has, like we've talked yeah. about this before, like this whole like America yeah. uh, thing. And also it, it's, it is somewhat funny in some parts but it's completely unnecessary you can you can take that storyline out nothing is lost in the movie except yeah. that storyline he's not really connected to anyone else in a big way no there's nothing missing yeah and I think, yeah, that's that's for me the bit that could go because, and if I don't think it's interesting is that, like, for Bill, for instance, Bill Nye's character is also an asshole and he also makes some sexist comments, but it fits the character being an asshole and being from this, like, generation of, like, aging rock star. And it feels like that is at least the meta commentary. I can also see that you have Martine McCutcheon's character, so, like, your Grand Slough interest. Mm be someone that in 2003 would have been considered chubby by other women and by her horrible ex-boyfriend. So it's, for instance, fair to mention that because that was very much a thing, having been 13 years old in 2003 that I remember. But the way it is then like repeated and put in there, even though Ugran doesn't think so, it still, it still comes out fatphobic. And then... And then doubling down on this with uh, Aurelia's sister um, in this really weird way is the other thing that could go. Yeah, um, and like they're they're both like versions of like being chubby is kind of like their identity in a way where I'm like yeah. that's that's really. And I think there was another one. I'm looking at my tons of notes here that there is because uh, I wrote down at somebody uh, at some point everyone's fat phobic in this and like there's like three different things. I mean, there's also yeah. Emma uh, Thompson mention... thinks she's too fat. Right, Emma Thompson <laughs> thinks she's too fat, and Colin Firth gets like that. That storyline has a comment on that where where he says where she says basically, um, "Don't eat too much uh, because uh, of my sister." So she's she's doing that as well, and uh, and and he's playing off of that. So there is, or he kind of like denies. He says like, "I have genes that that's not a." That's not a problem for me to eat a lot, which congratulations, Colin Firth. But it's 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 straight it's strangely it's one of those things where it it clearly was something that very few people on that movie really thought would be 
problematic the way it was presented. Yeah. And it just and kind that's... of strikes you as like of the age and like a ooh, poo. Yeah, and again, 2003 was insane with this. Like, the early 2000s were, like, the peak time of, like, A, we were coming off the 90s heroin uh, chic skinny models, but somehow that may, somehow that was the worst time. Um, I mean, people were constantly commenting on, like, people who are not in any way, shape, or form uh, fat um, as fat like anyone who's basically a size 38 at the time was considered fat so like like martin mccutcheon would have been considered chubby which is hilarious like it's just not um but 20 years ago like that was a whole thing um and i'm not saying we've really moved on from this but i think there has been there there's been some like there's been a bunch of like activists a like just feminist activists but also like fat activists who like have started to do something with this and i think it has shifted we've at least shifted away from just like the super skinny blonde type essentially also away from the the blonde models that you know or actresses that end up in this weird chris marshall plot um Mm. so thankfully um yeah, and, it's still, it's still. Um, I mean, there, there's really no way of uh, of avoiding saying yeah. that this is what it is. Yeah. yeah, and but like, yeah, I mean, but the other things that do work. I mean, I think the the two plots that are the most Richard Curtis that he started out with work really well, and they're charming, like the Prime Minister plot. Otherwise, just works. Just him having he has all the beats i mean obviously the the famous speech uh against the americans like david beckham's right foot and david beckham's left foot um and yeah, but then it's also funny. it's funny but also i was uh uh i i watched that and was like ooh, yeah because um you know britain is just a small scrappy country that has to stand up to oppressive america and it's not at all uh, empire just out of being an empire. And, you know, it's not just Harry Potter and David Beckham's left and right foot. Oh, of course it's, not. But I mean, it's, it, it's, it feels like this is done in order to, you know, make the British audiences feel good about themselves and for the Americans to go like, oh, look at them. What are they doing to us? And it kind of, it really, I mean, especially maybe this is my, especially post-Brexit, it just feels like such a, oh, you can, you can see why that happened kind of yeah thing. i mean obviously but also it's it's the progressive fantasy of like a politician the uk has never had um and that they they wish they had and um and especially would have fished at the time they had because we all know what like tony blair's take on iraq was and like i mean not, let's not forget how quickly the uk joined the us mm-hmm. in the war on terror um but by 2003 uh people were already very upset with that on the left um that weren't as upset with it in 2001 um so i think that's just you know again it's like this liberal fantasy and of course the uk is not actually that country but like i mean like he just works as a character and i mean the whole reason he ends up giving the speech is mostly because he's mad that uh the president hit on his love interest so um yeah which is interesting which because i first read him as a george w bush stand-in but he's really kind of a george w bush slash bill clinton conglomerate uh yeah bob thornton in that president role like the the way that he's dressed is very clearly george w bush like i think even the tie colors are yeah tie colors he's that, clearly uh, george a republican w. Bush, uh, yeah 
but but then at the same time, the sleaziness of like Clinton and Levinsky. I mean, that's yeah. still much more in the, in recent memory than twenty years ago. And it's not. I mean, nobody has forgotten. But like, let me tell you, my students don't remember Clinton Levinsky because I mean, they're how could they? They weren't old. alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, not like actively remember. You know, but like even in sort of the public consciousness way, remembering mm. it's it, it feels like that they, they don't really think of this. Um, because it's not as referenced as much anymore as it at some point also used to. But like in 2003, that's what everyone thinks of, obviously, right? Yeah, which is uh, actually interesting because the whole Martin McCutcheon, Hugh Grant storyline also has shades of that because there yeah. is that that kind of power differential, which is another thing that the internet uh, has pointed out in this, yeah. that both the Colin Firth and the Hugh Grant storylines have that. Um, I think it's not nearly again not nearly as bad i'm i feel like i'm a love actually apologist here but uh it is certainly certainly noticeable she's she she very yeah. much has agency in this but at some point he has her basically put into another position in government because he can't be around her and she doesn't have a say in that and that 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 did read uh, problematic and, yeah. uh, well, I mean, he's not the one who can give up his job because he's literally the prime minister. No, so. but but there is there is kind of a thing where you where you could uh, you know you yeah, could you could think, you could be honest about that, and he's not. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, it it would have been a better version where he actually talks to her, but then you'd have a whole storyline where they actually acknowledge their feeling for each other way too early, and I think that's sort of a. I think it's also sort of Richard Curtis maybe writing himself into a bit of a corner with them because you want the little silly workplace romance that obviously has some of the issues, but you also want your grand not to be someone who's sleazy and takes advantage of her the way the American president does. But then what does he do? Because if he acknowledges that, then that might turn into a power differential he doesn't want to do. So the way he's doing it is like he wants to quietly remove himself from her and not be problematic. But then obviously that means he has to play the power card and just, mm give her a different job where she might end up thinking she fucked something up. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's sort of a very stupid, like, like what are you going to do to like, let him still be likable, but not be the guy who like, you know, but I think, I mean, he, he obviously does come out as likable because like the, just because he's Ukraine and like does his little dance around uh, Downing Street. And that's also the famous thing a lot of people remember because it's shared on the internet still. Um, but, and, and, you know, his whole thing where she walks out and he like had desks and this like God and then calls Margaret the Thatcher grand a saucy minx. Trope, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. That's pretty funny. Um, and then also when he before like the president like makes uh, um, advances to her and he walks out in the hallway and is like hi and it's like oh god, <laughs> it's like, he's just so awkward. Um, so yeah, no, it it's fine and uh, yeah, and we we should also talk about the weird nativity play because my favorite. <laughs> My favorite underrated right. okay. Let's get into let's get into the the <laughs> most amazing scene in the whole movie, which is yeah. everything around that nativity play. <laughs> it's just so amazing. Um, I wonder if like one of Richard Curtis's kids ha like had a nativity play where they clearly tried to fit in 
50 kids so they could be in the play and this is what inspired this because it just feels like I mean that's obviously I think what happens here because like Emma Thompson's kid is like um, I'm the second lobster and it's like first there were more than one lobster <laughs> at the birth of Jesus um, yeah I wish we, we would have seen more of that actually uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean it is a pretty it is a pretty important set piece because everybody yeah. kind of comes to that and yeah. uh, it has it has it has this little moment because Hugh Grant is obviously Emma Thompson's brother, he's also the prime minister and the only reason he is there is because he's going after Martin McCutcheon's character, he's going after Natalie and she kind of gets him in and then he runs into Emma Thompson mm. and uh, kind of she she says, "Oh yeah, it's great that you're coming for you know your your nephews." And he doesn't deny it. He's he's doing the politician thing here and just kind of like, "Oh yeah, obviously it's um yeah." Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, the uh, everyone's kind of in, in involved in this somehow. The kids, obviously, the uh, Liam Neeson's kid, it plays the drums, which is a whole thing about uh, him wanting to get close to his crush. There is a cut scene, which I was very sad to not have been included because there is a part of Liam Neeson and his kid bonding where they're watching Titanic and mm. uh, they reference every now and then, you know, the romantic movies and the kid says at some point, you know, you don't, the romantic movies, they don't get together until the end, which is actually kind of a nice foreshadowing for Liam Neeson's own love story with, uh, uh, Carol, who's played by Claudia Schiffer, which is kind of like a meta joke because the funeral, his dead wife, I think, said that he should bring Claudia Schiffer as a yeah. date. Like, that's a whole thing. Like, he has a Claudia Schiffer uh, obsession in some. There's also a cut scene where he looks at uh, naked pictures of Claudia Schiffer on the computer and then uh, gets a virus, which is funny and and, and also shows his bad parenting. There is a scene, the, the whole uh, reason I'm, I'm rambling on here, of Liam Neeson finally entering his kid's bedroom, which we which you don't really see mm. in the actual movie because he always has these like little things on the chalkboard in front of the door to keep him out. And you see it's full of romance movie posters. Like this kid is basically us, like looking at mm -hmm. romantic movies and kind of like deconstructing them and seeing like maybe I can find something in these movies to help me kind of, um, uh, you know, get with my crush, which is... I thought was kind of a moment that made a lot of sense in that sense. Um, and uh, he learns to play the drums, which is why he ends up being in the band at the nativity play where his crush is singing and singing absurdly well. And uh, I, uh, I looked it up. She was 10 when she recorded mm -hmm. that Olivia. Yeah. And, and, yeah Olivia Olsen, and, crazy. And, 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 and and also I need to bring this up here because um, obviously a lot of people didn't believe it was actually her singing, but it is her singing. They actually had to tone her down so she would sound more like a kid, um, which, you know, she yeah, still sounds amazing. They talk about adding, adding kind of like breaths to her, to her performance so yeah. you would believe like it's an actual, yeah, it's, uh, she's um, uh, crazy good. I remember... Um, like also vividly like that would have been a few years later but again like i mostly watch this every christmas but i watched it with my ex-girlfriend when i was like 16 
um, and my ex-girlfriend was musically trained, like her whole family mm. was like musically trained. So some of them were professional singers. She was a concert pianist. So like, obviously they know music and she refused to believe that this 10 year old had a voice like that. Mm. And like, I'm sorry, but it's true. Like they weren't lying. They even tried to like, but that's a thing. She, she like blatantly refused to believe me. Um, and I is just that why she's say, your ex? Yes. No. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like, it, it was funny because I'm also like, well, you know, uh, at the same time she had sisters who had also amazing singing voices at 13. So I'm like, why are you so weird about this? Mm. But, um, but yeah, it's the thing. So I do, I think that's also realistic that the way the crowd reacts to her, they're all like, what the hell? Like, what the fuck is this kid? Um, so, but I mean, we do understand why, like, the kid has a crush on her. And what I always find interesting is that, like, they do very much look like kids, but he looks so much younger than her, but the same age. It's just, like, boys that age versus, yeah. and, and, and the funny thing with Thomas Brody Sangster is, like, he's 13 at the time. So even, again, he looks younger than he is. Like, he looks like a 10 year old hmm. almost or 11 year old. But he's 13 when they filmed this and then got cast as technically a 13 year old again 10 years later on Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. I did yeah. not know that. That's uh, crazy. He was in, yeah, he was on Game of Thrones. He's, uh, I forgot what his character's name is on Game of Thrones. Um, but he, he is 23 when he gets cast there. And, and I mean, also to be fair, the TV series Game of Thrones aged up a lot of the characters mm. who are supposed to be like teens or tweens in the book, just because it's that sort of medieval setting where it's really problematic of like way too young kids having sex essentially and all of that shit because George R. R. Martin is a creep. But like, um, but like also, so they aged up the character, but technically he's playing a 13 year old again, 10 years later, which is pretty funny. Um, but he also does look younger than still. He doesn't look like 23 either. He looks like a teenager. Yeah. Um, and that he did, he did, he was, he was also good, like half head shorter than her. And I think that's realistic in terms of like, yeah. you know, boys that age and, and girls, it's a kind of like a typical thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but it did, did make it uh, especially kind of, it 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 made sense like this this kid who is uh, not quite as i mean he's definitely not as talented as, as her when it comes to to, I mean, to just, music just or anything learning the drums at a very I mean, short he's time not, for... he's not bad i'm not saying yeah. apparently his dad taught him uh, yeah. the, the actor, how, actor how to play yeah. the drums and he actually played the drums so um you know yeah well, so at least it's well realistic done. in terms it's of realistic. like he managed to play that one song and played it like a kid who just learned to learn the drums because that's what he was so Perfectly fine. Props we need to, to talk about the octopus. <laughs> yeah. The kid, the nephew, is, is Mar Martin McCutcheon's nephew, I think. Yeah, but he's in the car. With <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of my favorite scenes where they're in the car going to the school play because Hugh Grant at some point gets a card in the mail from her. Yeah, and, and one where of the selected Christmas cards. Right, one of these selected Christmas cards uh, that that uh, somebody always picks to give to high political mm -hmm. officials, which is a thing, right? So you can kind of stay grounded, but somebody kind of selects a representative sample, and yeah. uh, she basically admits that she's uh, in, in love with him, and then he goes, find her, and I first didn't quite understand why he doesn't know where she lives when she sent him a Christmas card, and then I remembered that there was a conversation conversation earlier where she mentioned whereabouts she lives and what street she lives on but mm. he doesn't know anything more than that so he just goes to the street and looks and 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 uh basically knocks on every door 
um, and yeah. finally finds her, but not after uh, a wonderful scene where he and his uh, bodyguard uh, need to do caroling yeah. because kids open the door and ask that he, the, he does caroling. And uh, just before he meets Natalie, he uh, knocks on the door where Mia, Heike Makacha's character, yeah. lives, who is wearing the necklace. We haven't talked about the necklace yet because uh, Alan Rickman gets her a necklace. Um, which uh, Emma Thompson thinks she's going to get, and then she knows that he's having an affair yeah. or is about to have an affair with her. But Hugh Grant knocks on uh, this door and asks, does Natalie live here? And then Mia says, no, but she lives next door. So like, there's another slight connection. So yeah. then the, uh, the whole family of uh, Martine McCutcheon's character is about to head to the, the school play, where, where we kind of get a little bit of exposition as to why everyone's going to be there. Cause it's like a joint school play. Like all the schools are doing it together for the first time or something mm. in, in some district. And, uh, then he says, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll drive there. And they drive there in the, the government limousine. And she says, it's just around the corner. It's like literally, literally the shortest around scene. the corner. <laughs> so and, good. And then the octopus crammed in the middle. And yeah, it's the kid like, who's playing yeah, the octopus who like, obviously and, and, also and was at the nativity. Quote my <laughs> favorite line that's very underrated um is her mother saying eight is a lot of legs david (laughs) 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 Uh, because the delivery on that is so good um but uh yeah so um I mean, they end up, they also end up kissing on stage, and that's how everyone finds out the Prime Minister is now dating this. Yeah, which moment, that like, felt like the most rigid courtesy scene. Yeah, right there. Like, yeah. I also feel like that that plot, and then obviously, again, call it Firth plot, makes sense that just the, the things he worked on, because they have the most basic rom com structure mm. um, and the most cl- cliche rom com ending, like big, the big Colin Firth where he learns Portuguese for her and then arrives and she's learned some English and now they can sort of communicate. Right. Um, because and, they, and, 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 yeah. like that's, and I think we need to kind of quickly set up. He goes to this, this vacation house, I guess in, in mm. France, uh, in, in Marseille, which the geography not entirely working out for me here, but let's, let's leave that out. And, uh, he is there and she is the housekeeper and she has immigrated from Portugal and doesn't speak any French, doesn't speak any English. He doesn't speak any Portuguese. And what's really nicely done with this is that they keep having conversations where yeah. they basically like Say the same ha- are thing. on the same page, but don't know that they are doing that. And so that's actually one of my favorite kind of uh, ways in which, in which the, the romantic plot is advanced. Yeah. There. And then they both kind of, uh, well, go back to their normal lives, but they both end up learning the other's language. And Colin, Colin Firth in this this wonderful scene in the what is it, the Central London uh, Language School, where everybody's in like a room <laughs> with headphones, yeah. doing basically Duolingo before Duolingo, yeah, and the sentences and are just as Duolingo. bad. Yeah, it's, it's so like, good. It's like he's like, I how have much a is the achy shelf? stomach? Um, uh, it must have been the prawns, which is. <laughs> Yeah, now, now, like, I mean, my Duolingo, my Dutch Duolingo, uh, randomly gives me, like, I know so many useful phrases now, like, hello, I am an apple, and I see, I see, like, people making, like, parody videos and, like, visualizing these situations. Yeah, I remember one where somebody comes into a store and the the, the store clerk speaks Duolingo, and it's just completely, (laughs) it's completely not helpful. Yeah. So, uh, 
But yeah, so nowadays, like the re the remake of Love Actually will have a Duolingo component, is what we're saying. Obviously, um, but um, no, I think that's one of the most like the ending is still sort of weird because it has that fat phobia component, and then the whole the village coming to where she works in the restaurant. But um, but I the think subtitles that subtitles are great though. The way that yeah, they're using subtitles is really, really funny. funny. I don't know if his Portuguese is really that bad, but the subtitles had me really, oh, yeah, really so. laughing. Yeah, that that's really funny. But also, like, the the general, like, when you said, yeah, like, as you said, like, the fact that they keep saying sort of the same thing, and we know what they're saying, and they don't know, and that's really charming. Um, so that, that I think, also still yeah. works. And uh, We need to, we need to kind of, uh, uh, we're, I guess we're still talking about the, the, the school play scene, because everything kind of happens there. But uh, I Notice that we have not included one of the funniest and kind of most important characters kind of like in the background, which is Rowan Atkinson's character. Yeah, I wanted to bring him up. I have him in yeah. my notes. Um, I think every time I watched this, I was like, he's clearly supposed to be some kind of spirit of Christmas, like magical element to it. And I think Richard Curtis said he was supposed to be an angel and they were yeah. going to make that clearer, clearer and didn't. But I think it's still pretty obvious because um, he only pops up twice in the final cut of the film. And once is when Ellen Rickman, and then we can talk about the necklace, buys the necklace for his affair and he's like clearly dragging this out like with the, you know, uh, putting all the wrapping and decorations around it and so just so his wife might come back and catch him um and then he's also the element that makes it possible for the kid to run to his yeah. self-interest through the airport i think i think it makes actually i was i was kind of going back and forth on this i think it makes more sense that he is not like the angel of christmas because mm. a you would have had to see him interact with a few more of these people yeah. and just kind of like two that felt not enough. And also what is your plan? Angel of Christmas taking a long time to wrap a present. So the wife comes and he can't buy it when clearly in the next scene, he has bought it. He just went back later and encountered another clerk. Like if, 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 if his job is angel of Christmas and like, you know, guiding people to do the right thing, clear fail so i don't yeah. know what that's about I mean, so i think it I think works he's better trying. this way he's trying this like thing. if there if there was like a kind of a extended universe where he is a not very successful angel of christmas on a mission i'm buying that immediately but if he's supposed to be kind of like a benevolent you know figure who is sent down to fix things he's not entirely good at that he's he's good at yeah, that with the kid in the end but not with this one yeah, I don't think, like, it's just sort of a slightly magical element of, like, maybe, like, not directly intervening, but at yeah. least, you know. But it um, is to me, it is to me, well, I'm not entirely sure the octopus is also pretty good, but it is, I'm going to say this is the funniest scene, when he takes forever to wrap the present <sighs> and, like, does it in such a ridiculous way, and, and he just pulls it off, like, it's such a funny scene. I mean, I think Bill Nye is pretty funny, like, consistently, like, he's he's outrageous, but he's funny. Um, and then obviously, like, I mean, you Grant's dancing is pretty iconic, like those dance moves, whatever the fuck he's doing, like, they're just, it's just great physical comedy. I think that, that just also aged well. And then that thing where he's like, thinks he's alone, turns around and then he's like, one of the assistants. One of Everyone's the, been there. Everyone's, yeah, been, everyone's there. been there. Exactly. So it's, 
Uh, yeah, I think this. Um, but yeah, so Alan Rickman uh, and the necklace. And I think, obviously, like, what still works about the film mostly is that there's just genuinely so many good performances in it. And then obviously, if you were looking for good performances in a film that has Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson, unsurprisingly, you will end up with them. And they also have, I think, some of the most dramatic, aside from Laura mm-hmm. Linney's plot um and that scene where emma thompson goes in the bedroom on christmas eve to cry because she realized that necklace she saw was bought for her and she has to like pretend everything's fine because her kids are there and Mm. it's christmas and she listens to her Joni mitchell recording which is the thing he actually gave her which actually is a thoughtful gift but obviously um it pales in comparison it pales and um and her just like crying to both sides now and then pulling herself together again is still like this is the here's emma thompson's oscar for her two minutes um in this film yeah and yeah. um i mean that's but that's emma thompson you just put her in anything um yeah. and it elevates that she's one of those and, people and uh well interesting enough she said she pulled like i mean depending on what your philosophies of acting are but a lot of actors pull from like having experienced similar emotions and these things. And she said she, she did pull from the fact that, you know, her ex-husband, Kenneth Brenner. Yeah. <laughs> cheated on her <coughs> with Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> so in the, in the grand hall of fame of British actors, um, this happened. And this is partially what inspired this. Um, and so, yeah. And then um, obviously Alan Rickman, I still think is brilliant. Um, again, there's a huge debate on whether or not he actually cheated on her. I still think he didn't. I think um, he, he came. It's, it's, I kept thinking about this as well. I think he came pretty close, close. pretty close. Um, also the way that this is, and by the way, that's another thing that, that kind of had me um, uncomfortable watching the, uh, director's commentary because that the way that that uh, Heike Makic's character was was sexualized by them in the commentary it just felt kind of unnecessary mm. when everybody else wasn't but she was clearly like trying to tempt him and he I I I think you know he was he was right on the line and and uh, there is a scene at the school play because like the school play is where everything happens mm. where Emma Thompson in essence, confronts him and yeah. tells him that she knows and uh, does it in a really good way. And uh, Curtis talks about how he talked to Alan Rickman and Alan Rickman basically told him, you need to write the scene because otherwise there's no resolution to the story. Yeah. And I think that scene makes me think that in the end, he did not go through with it because no. I think she might have caught him before that. And um, uh, then yeah. they have this awkward moment at the end, but I think they might might be able to patch things up. You never know. But um, I, I don't think they had an affair. I think they came pretty close. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's also what, like, I, I remember, like, some of, the, some of the discussions of the film are trying to make him out to be this, like, asshole and villain. And I'm like, but, you know, try to be married for 20 years or whatever it is and, like, be set in your ways. And, I mean, I'm not excusing him, but also at the same time, like, here there's this young, much younger woman who's, like, actively pursuing him and he's tempted. And he does a dumb thing, which is buy this necklace and, like, indulge this fantasy. But I don't think he goes through with it. And obviously it's still, like, an emotional, like... He, like, as soon as he notices how much he, like, hurt his wife, I think, 
I mean, at the end, it seems like they're not on good terms yet, and she's pretty mm. hurt, which is understandable, but they might try to work it out. And I mean, the fact he comes back from somewhere at the airport um, probably means he might have just gone away for a while or they like separated for a bit. Um, so it's that thing. It's just like, it feels like a very human story. That's not, you know, and I mean, Rickman is also just so, so good at it. And yeah. I think one of the things that, that to me, kind of rereading criticisms of this movie after having watched it again, I think people want this to be much more of a straightforward romantic comedy yeah. movie, which I guess brings us to our um, uh, final point uh, at some point. But it is actually, like, I looked at how many of these stories have no good resolution or have no clear resolution and versus the stories that have a clear romantic, you know, romantic comedy cliche storyline and there's just as many of the one as there are of the other which i think is kind of the mission statement of the movie it's not that love always wins it is that it is all around which is another kind of like nice callback to to um uh four weddings and a funeral with bill nye's song and uh, the the like the the storyline could be this movie is called love actually um, and it feels like this is the thing that, uh, you know, Richard Curtis said when somebody asked him what he was working on, what's this movie about? It's love, actually. It's not love wins. It's not yeah. love is useless or love is good or lo love is bad. It is It is part of the human experience. And here are some stories about that. And I think part of the criticism of this movie, and we talked about like all kinds of problems with it uh, otherwise. But part of the criticism is people want this to be a sappy romantic comedy, mm. which it is only in part. Yeah. And I think so too. And, um, and yeah, I think the, the love actually is all around. I mean, that's also the frame, the frame is, and they actually filmed real people and then obviously got their permission to use the footage, um, at Heathrow and the rivals at Heathrow. Which and I'm not sure if that would fly in a place that's not England where cameras are everywhere, honestly. Um, but it's, it's it, that, and that frame of like, you know, the calls from when the planes flew into the twin towers, which is mm -hmm. the most obvious stating of this. But um, I think it's still, you can also tell that he's writing this at a moment where a lot of people are thinking about like how bad everything is. And especially the airport had turned into like a place of, you know, the securitization of airports was only still happening. Yeah. The fact that the kid has to like sneak by security he wouldn't have had to do it three years earlier. He would have just been able to go up to the gate. And I think that's actually a larger point. And I think it's he's just trying to say, look, people by and large are better than we think they are. It's we always hear about the bad stuff. We think about terrorism. This is a time mm. when terrorist attacks happen all the time, and it's you know love still actually is all around and i mean that's sappy too but it's different sappy than just everything has a happy end because um while i wish that laura linney's character would end up with the hot guy and this wouldn't be i mean i also don't understand necessarily why that storyline had to go the way it goes but my takeaway also is that like if he can't accept the fact that she has to take care of mm -hmm. her brother he doesn't actually deserve her or like she deserves. I think that was clear. I think that was the, the, the note, like, cause that was one of the ones where, where they did reshoots on and added the scene at the end where it becomes clear that they're not together. And, and I, I understood, 
understood the like first of all um when he asks her is it is it going to help your brother if you take this mm. call and she says no but she still does it so there is kind of like a a thing where it's it's not necessarily just about the brother this is also about her and then the way that uh, carl uh, um uh, the the character kind of like doesn't have an inkling of understanding for that mm. uh, that's kind of supposed to be clearer than it is in the scene. I thought it was pretty clear because, like, I thought it was a bit yeah. of a dick for for going like, um, yeah. do you I mean, need I mean, to take I mean, this call? I and mean, I think but that's one of the... that was the reason that they had to add an another scene because, like, a lot of people wanted the storyline to go happily, but you would have had to tweak more than just uh, the final scene for that. Yeah, and I mean, it, since Richard Curtis has that history of including either a mentally ill or physically mm. disabled character, and that that character is usually a sibling and usually the sister and, or, you know, at least a female character that's sort of a friend that like he keeps shifting it the way it fits that narrative right now. I mean, it's a most obvious and about time, which is later, but like that is all to the fact that he had a sister who committed suicide. Mm. And, and, and I think that's in there. It's like that there is that responsibility. If you have a sibling and in this case, Again, like this, clearly her brother might never get well, or at least at the moment we have the situation, he's, he needs full time care and he doesn't have a grip on reality. It's a pretty yeah. severe thing, but it's her, her responsibility. And she says that. And she says that, like, you know, because she's American and, um, so they came over here and the parents aren't there anymore. And in all of this, or at least not in the same country. So she's his primary caretaker. And that means certain sacrifices. And if someone doesn't understand that, that's a sad outcome because obviously we would have wanted her yeah. to have this fairy tale thing. But like, it's just sometimes the reality of like, yeah, being a primary yeah. caretaker. Which kind of takes us back to this story is, uh, this movie is about love and all kinds of love and also in the in the ending scene with bill nye and his manager who that's yeah. another fat phobic remark that 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 kind of went by where he calls him fat for no reason and but in the end realizes that he doesn't want to be uh, with all the with the the pretty girls at elton john's party he wants to spend christmas with his uh manager like yeah who who's clearly his best denim. friend because they stuck it out the whole time he's the only guy yeah. st apparently stuck with him his whole career yeah and i i really i really thought about this because like he has this this i mean he is an asshole and he has that that final line where of, of their kind of like storyline mm. where he says uh it's christmas um let's get let's get pissed and watch porn and i'm like i never thought that i would you know say this but you know 50-ish plus year old Bill Nye saying that to his best friend is like one of the most moving declarations of love in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, also the thing is, he's kind of gay. I mean, they make the joke because he comes from Elton John's yeah. party, like five minutes at Elton John's party and you're gay as gay as what how many hairdressers. You don't know so, where I mean, those two will be like five years on. But it's honestly like you're going back to him and it's his best friend, but also like how many men do watch porn together? I just yeah, want to put like, it out there. Like normally, yes, we all like men do talk about the fact that they watch porn. They <laughs> like send each other porn. That's all fine. But like it's, and also not just men. Hello, I exist in fandom. We send each other porn all the time, but like it's, 
but like sitting down and watching it together while getting drunk. It's a drunk. weird thing. It's, it's a weird, gay, weird thing. Everyone, yeah. and that should have been the other more explicitly gay storyline that probably wouldn't have flown in a big film like this in 2003. It's just what it is. Um, yeah. But like in my head, so that's the thing. So like that's my take. It's like they should have been a couple. Uh, um, and the other thing that's still open to interpretation, it might just be. So he's also in the final scene. But one of the things in the end is that Andrew Lincoln randomly tagged along to come to the airport with Kira Knightley and mm. Chivital Lechevior, which also, by the way, ended up winning an Oscar for, or was nominated for an Oscar. No, didn't win it for 12 years as slave. So he's like massive. Right. Yeah, um, no, like we haven't even mentioned because he's basically the, 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 yeah, he also the is barely husband in this. Yeah. who is, who is not in really in that storyline like another and... huge actor for this kind of tiny role yeah and and so but why would andrew lincoln randomly tag along so my take is they turned into a thruple and nobody <laughs> will convince me otherwise it is the storyline that should have happened um and yes and i think that's it and um we should probably think about like wrapping this up so we should talk about is this a rom-com and we should talk about yeah. taglines but yeah yeah i have i have answers to both of those questions uh yeah. do you want to go um, first or um also because i didn't make it the whole time but it feels like it's a running gag but in this case warranted i have not talked about ted lasso yet and obviously ted lasso in its christmas episode so i'm saying the most iconic scenes from this they copied them like they did the carol singers bit and they did the ringing bells and and like finding someone and they like did a lot of this but that's also like staying power of the film i think because it's mm. the, everyone watching this everyone knows this from love actually um but anyway um so i do think again obviously like it's a rom-com in the sense that a lot of the main storylines have very clear rom-com beats like specifically your grand storyline colin first storyline um but some other stuff deviates and i think he is allowed to do this and have some not happy endings in this or the more complicated storyline of like husband maybe cheats on his wife or almost cheats on his wife because he has all of this coming together so he gets to tell and again different stories of love whether or not like and also platonic uh love as well mm, so yeah but i do I... think it is one I also agree that it is a romantic comedy. It it does. I mean, it does what what a genre does. It experiments kind of with the form, but it does include like two very clear romantic storylines. Probably more if we if we think about uh, uh, Thomas Bodie Sangster and um, uh, yeah. But it clearly is that. And to me, my my you know like knockout criteria are always: is it romantic and is it funny? And it is clearly both. Um, it's not quite as funny as a kind of a strict, uh, typical romantic comedy all the way through because it includes these other parts. But it has absolutely hilarious scenes, especially in the kind of most rom-commy plot lines, but also in the the kind of like tragic ones, like the the scene of uh, Alan Rickman buying the necklace from Rowan Atkinson. Again, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, just because mm. of the ridiculousness of it. But it has this very kind of deep, more tragic meaning if you look behind it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, taglines. What What do you have? 
Um, do, did you actually look up the actual tagline for this? I did not, actually. Oh, God, we should do this. Um, love actually is all around. I don't know. Um, no, my Christmas is all around. Christmas is all around. Um, I will do this. Um, wh what is your tagline? I have Follow two um, uh, alternative taglines. Yeah. Uh, one of them is... Uh, Let's have a drink and watch telly, which apparently is the uh, PG version of the um, <laughs> let's watch a porn and get pissed yeah, sure. line, which, which, uh, and the other one is um, the surveillance state presents love, actually. Because, <laughs> like, all of those, okay, like. So, and so, yeah, and the tagline actually was love, actually, is all around, um, and then some other stuff well coming done. soon, actually. <laughs> <laughs> And the ultimate romantic comedy, so at least marketing things, it's one as well. Mm. Um, and so mine is, um, in, in, in reference to, eight is a lot of legs, David. It's like, <laughs> eight, eight is a lot of storylines, Richard. <laughs> and it's actually more than that. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's a romantic comedy. I think we knocked those uh, taglines out of the park. And it's the 20-year anniversary. Is it a movie that's perfect? Is it a movie that has, you know, the seal of approval for, you know, lasting uh, over time? Maybe, maybe not. Should you watch it? Yes, actually. Yes. Um, I think if you ever, like... Any movie you watch that is is maybe not from right now will have some elements to it that feel dated to you for whatever reason. Um, and but yeah, I think there's some timelessness to some of these storylines that still make it worthwhile. And it is it is a feel good Christmas movie. It is one of those you can pop on every year. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. and and if you're nostalgic for the old Nokia ringtone, definitely. Yep. Watch and, this one. Um, it's very 2003. Everyone's clothes as well, so it's just I mean, a that's little. A, that's a whole. That's a whole other thing. The whole, yeah. the whole like music and like there's so much we could get into, but it is very 2003. Yeah. Which, which you know. Yeah. That's fair for nostalgia anyway. reasons. Cool. So yeah. Cool. <laughs> it is a rom com, actually. That is my final sentence. 